I say it happens so fast, but also so slow at the same time. Um, the moment of impact was was a moment in the surf where um, I'd actually been surfing for about 45 minutes. Uh, one of my friends, Joel, I'd called him to go for a surf that afternoon um, and we were just surfing together. He just caught a wave, so he was about 100 metres down the beach and I was sitting there by myself um, when all of a sudden I just get hit from my right side. But like it, It's always hard to explain what that force feels like. Um, I always explain it by... You know, it felt like getting hit by a bus. It might feel like a footy tackle or something like that. It's just this enormous force from my right side that throws me off my board. Hi, and welcome to Humans Like Us. I'm your host, Ricky Longshaw. On today's episode, I sit down and have a chat with Brett Connellan. In 2016, Brett was out surfing with a mate. Little did he know that this surf would be the one that changed his life forever. Because during this surf, Brett came face to face with the worst thing possible, a shark. We discussed the life before, the injury itself, and the recovery that seemed Brett aimed to get back into the water. Brett's story is one of resilience, determination, and an unwavering commitment to get back to the thing he loves most. I'm sure you will enjoy this story as much as I loved hearing it. Now, let's get on. What was what was life like uh, before the shark attack? Like, do you do you remember sort of that that point? Um, like obviously no one plans for a shark attack. No. What was what was the goals when you were that that little bit younger, man? Uh, well, man, like to kind of understand where I was at at the time of the, the shark attack, you kind of have to go back to, I guess, like the age of eleven. That's when I first started surfing. So I would say that as far as pivotal moments for me goes, like obviously the shark attack's one of them. Um, <laughs> but the the day I started surfing was probably one of those pivotal moments because it was at a point in my life where I was doing a lot of other sports. I was always really sports orientated when I was younger, but the year I took up surfing or the year I started it, I gave up all my other sports and I was like, I just want to do surfing. It's, this is my sport. So my life from that point up until the attack was really just crafted by surfing. Um, not just as a sport I enjoyed to do, but like I, like most kids, I had a dream of being a professional surfer and, and that was a big, a big part of where I wanted to go. I had the goal of, wanting to be a pro and make it onto the world tour um that's its own challenge just in itself and and what it takes to get there but i'd always kind of crafted my life around surfing whether it was um you know the structure of my day surfing in the morning um i'd go to work and i was working in a surf shop i had my own surf school um and surfing was just such a large part of my life that um that kind of developed who I was like I I always said to myself the dream is to become a professional surfer and if that doesn't work out I still want to do something in surfing so I'd put myself in a position to make that my lifestyle make that who I was so at to kind of take you to 2016 which is when the attack happens that was the year I'd, I'd kind of planned out and said I'm going to have a crack at doing the the qualifying series and and really having a go at living out that dream of becoming a professional because I'd always, I was, I was a really late developer when it came to surfing because I started at 11. That's actually pretty late for, for kids these days. You see them starting when they're like three, four years old. Um, so I started pretty late and I just developed later as well. So usually by the age of 16, you can tell what kids are going to you know take surfing um, to that next level. But I didn't really get that to that stage until I was like 21 and I'd had a, a bunch of good results 
uh, in late 2015, start of 2016, I was like, okay, now's my opportunity. Um, so I didn't even get a chance to compete in that first event of the year because I was training leading up to that. Um, and that's, that's when the attack happened, which obviously throws that dream off the rails and, and has a lot of other things come into it. But yeah, to, to kind of answer the question, like very surf oriented, it was just everything that I wanted, everything that I was surrounded by was all just in, in this very small bubble of surfing. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems to be, um, like surfing, like obviously over here, we had like the tension guys, right? Like when we were younger, like tension and the bodyboarding guys, right? And it was huge. It hit like, it just become this thing that like, and it's one of those sports that absolutely becomes a lifestyle, right? Like there's no no in and out, it seems with, with surfers, right? Like if you're not on the waves, like I assume you skate as well. Like, is it like a... You know, like there's like you once you get on that board for that first time, people seem to just sort of like there's no other option now. This is like all they do. It becomes this huge lifestyle, um, and, it, and it always fascinated me. Like the people that got into surfing. So I'm, I live I lived when I was younger a little bit north of here in a place called Mandra, and uh, and a huge huge surf community there as well. Like it's just one of those things that just it's like no other sport it just takes over your life and like you said you know like I had mates that would like get up at like four o'clock in the morning to go for a surf and then go to school and then they'll talk about like and it was like this all week like they would ride like 30 kilometer round trips to go for a paddle man it was like unreal like it was just seemed so foreign to me um, that it, they just just took over their life. Like they were bodyboard bag on, flippers, all this sort of shit on their bike, pedal to the beach 15 kilometres away. Like I just, yeah, it blows my mind, man. I, uh, I, I'm so happy that people find something they're so passionate about. It's, um, yeah, it, it's it's really cool. How did how did you start? Is your old man surf? Your like brothers? Anything like that? So my yeah, my dad he he surfed um, all throughout sort of his his childhood. He he grew up in the Shire up in Cronulla, so he was always around that that scene his whole life. And he he'd always you know he, he wasn't the most like hardcore of surfers, but it was always a part of his life. Same sort of thing. Like he he can tell you the stories about how he used to. Know leave a board down at a, underneath a mate's house at the beach and he'd, he'd go there every day and grab his board, go for a surf. And so it was always a big part of his life. Um, my dad actually always jokes because he's, I started off on a, on a bodyboard and then his big thing was to get me off the bodyboard and onto a surfboard. So it, it took him a while to do that because when I was like really young, I was actually pretty afraid of the ocean. Like he would take me out on a board and it always gets to that point where the waves are a bit bigger, and you start to get scared. And you're like, "No, take me back to the beach. take me back to the beach." But he finally got to that that stage where uh, I had enough trust in in him and had enough trust in the ocean that that I could go out and do it. And yeah, the very first surf I had, I, I've got photos of it. It was um, down the coast at uh, just a beach down at Bend along there. The waves are tiny, but um, got to got to my feet first go and from from that there was really no turning back and i think that was a, a pretty proud moment for dad as well yeah yeah i just got goosebumps man <laughs> trying to imagine like you just as a little fella like i can imagine the excitement of finally get, i can imagine the pride on your old man's face as well like i could see that like him sitting just off the back there i can i can imagine that um yeah that that day for him would have been unreal so it gets to so twenty fifteen you start training pretty hardly right for this uh, for for your pro card. What is that? Uh, what does the training entail there? Is it a lot of cardio? A lot of 
lot of gym work. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I had no idea what what that would entail up until that point. Um, I I'd always been under the impression to surf better, like you just have to surf, and th- there's there's like a certain amount of truth to that because surfing it's it's so different to any other sport because like it's different to something like say if you compare it to tennis right it's it's like you're playing but you have to go like catch the court it's always moving and you've got to go and and find this thing that you can practice on so surfing's the same and in order to get better at it you have to be out there spend time in the water so you can get the reps up and, and do that but to take it to the next level, there's there's a couple of different things. You have to be smarter at the way that you surf heats and kind of put yourself situationally in that and obviously the pressure that comes along with it. And that's that's one, I think, a benefit that I had in kind of peaking a little bit later is I was a little bit savvier in heats and I, I, I there became a point where I just got it. But learning a, a little bit more about that is one side of things and you put yourself in a lot of heat scenarios and, and do the training with that. But the other side that I'd never worked on was, yeah, it was the time in the gym. And I had a, a friend who I'd surfed with when I was younger and he fell into a, a PT role, um, just a local gym here. And I hit him up and I was like, what What do I do? And he's like, come in, we'll, we'll start working on it. So it was the first time I'd actually stepped inside a gym was, was you know, only a year before the attack and um, started working slowly at just basic stuff. It, surf specific training is really weird. If you look at it from, if you like, if anyone who does, any sort of regular gym work that would see the work that's surf specific in in that setting they would think you're just doing these bizarre things like you've got the bosu balls you're doing things where it's not heavy it's kind of like light twitchy reflexy type of things and um there's a role for strength and and you know doing heavy lifts but a lot of it is channeling that into being quick and having your reflexes there so that kind of opened my my world up to something that i'd never really experienced before in what it's like to actually put something into the gym and feel it pay off in the water because I was starting to feel stronger and I was starting to feel like I could get more power out of my surfing and I was improving in that way. And because I'd never really put that much stock into, you know, things you can do outside of just spending time in the water, it was, it was kind of cool to go through that process and, and learn a lot more about it. I suppose everyone feels like that when you do first get into, you know, the gym and you're like, okay, there's, I've always loved that there's a direct correlation with, you know, what you put in and, and what you get out of it. Um, and I think that probably is something that benefited me later on when it came to my recovery. And that was obviously very gym based, but knowing that you can put as much as you can in, in the walls of the gym and you're going to see those results outside. So I think having that conditioning was not only something that benefited me obviously later on, but in wanting to achieve that goal of becoming a professional surfer, that was the confidence that I needed in order to, to actually go out there in a heat and be like, okay, I can trust my body's in the best physical condition. Now I can go and, and do this properly. Yeah. I, I was just, as you were saying that, like I was thinking about all the movements that would be involved in like everything, like surfing, right? Like a lot of, lot, obviously a lot of shoulder work and, and stuff for the paddle out, which I imagine like by the time I imagine I paddled out, I'd, pretty much be ready to paddle back in like it would just be like I could see like the, the work that it would take to get out there um but then I was thinking like yeah like like popping up onto that board would be like a lot of explosive movement because it's so quick right like yeah. you're going from full prone to all of a sudden your legs are underneath you but you've turned 90 degrees down there and like I can yeah I'm picturing the movement man so I uh 
I, I can see how um, how that explosive, like that fast muscle fiber, those twitches would uh, would be so beneficial. The um, do you think that's the difference now between uh, between like the top level guys and say like the mid level guys is the work that's not put in on the board. It's funny, like there's surfing is a like to become a professional surfer, it's kind of like a very finite thing. There's only 34 guys to surf on the tour. So there's always, you have guys that are insanely talented that end up there. But for the most part, I think in the last 10, 15 years, when you've seen those guys come through who have, you know, almost outworked talent to a certain point, that those guys are starting to prove the effort that you can do outside of just surfing every single day and, and how that can result like in, in an event and on a tour is it, it is evident because you know i think when a lot of people picture what professional surfing's like you think back to the days of the you know the, the 70s through the 90s and it was very like party oriented and there's there was no guys doing gym work back there and i think it took you know there's there's probably a few really influential people like in, in australia people would look at mick fanning as someone who really after getting injured was like okay being strong and being fit is the key to not only having a long career, but being successful as well. And I think you look at his injury and that was probably the catalyst for him to come back and and to win his world titles. And I think he would credit that a lot to his physical conditioning. And then I think guys see the result of that. And like in any sport, you see what's working for other people and, and you follow suit because it's obviously doing the trick. So it's, it has been really interesting over my life to see how, how serious people have started to take surfing. Now, now it, it isn't just this recreational sport, which a lot of people see as like, oh, guys just go down to the beach, surf, get stoned and, and enjoy their time down there. It's, it is taken much more seriously now as a sport alongside the the others that you see out there whether it be like footy or you know running or swimming or anything like that yeah it's a um and it's a business now right like with your social medias you know your 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 brand deals like all these things like i assume that that is a big part of it as well right like the the business side of things is now almost as important as getting on the board like it's yeah I, I, it's it's such a fun like i have zero idea how stuff is scored right like i can watch a thousand heats and be like oh that was pretty good and i'll be like eight and i'll be like oh, okay and then the next dude will go and be like 9.47 i'll be like oh, okay yeah cool <laughs> so i've got no idea about the uh the complexity of it but i can uh, i can definitely see like obviously super fit dudes and, and 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 getting back to um you saying starting at 11 like it's like all sports now right like unless you start at four you're not going to be a professional it just seems like kids are just so young these days getting into everything whether it's whatever whether it's football music anything it's this you've got to start in preschool, primary school, like to be the professional now because kids are just years ahead of you by late primary school, it seems. It's just, yeah, I I love it. I love that, like, it takes that long to get that good. I just hate that we've got to do it so early now. Like, anything now, like, my my youngest daughter is 11 and, uh, and, like, 
she's super uncoordinated. She's so like I'm like I'm quite a tall dude, and she is huge. Like she's tall as well. She's going to be like six foot plus. Okay. She's just like a big bag of spaghetti at the moment. Like it's, I just look at her and I'm like, ah, oh, poor child. You've got zero <laughs> chance of being a professional athlete, <laughs> and that's okay. I'm happy yeah. with that. I'm fine with that. Um, so it gets to 2016. You paddle out. Do you remember? the shark attack do you remember it i remember everything about it um which is a i think a unique thing um that isn't prevalent in all cases like this um i know some people that have been through not necessarily a shark attack but something else traumatic and everyone's memory of the situation and, and how they experience it is different which is, i think is the interesting thing about trauma in in the first place but yeah i think being able to remember everything and being able to talk about it openly and, and comfortably right through the attack and, and everything I've done afterwards is something that has helped me definitely come to terms with it and to be okay with it and to accept it. Um, so yeah, like even being able to remember the the vivid details of like that first impact right through to, you know, people rocking up on the beach and, um, you know, my parents getting there and, eventually getting taken away in the helicopter i was i was conscious right up until they shut the helicopter doors um so full memory of that whole experience which is which is cool yeah i sure yep, yeah i'm glad that you remember i don't personally want to remember it firsthand <laughs> um so like obviously plenty of respect for the ocean um you know that's that's you know half of your life probably spent in it um Describe that first impact. Describe that first bite. Yeah, it's it's a. I say it happens so fast, but also so slow at the same time. Um, the moment of impact was was a moment in the surf where um, I'd actually been surfing for about forty five minutes. Um, one of my friends, Joel, I'd called him to go for a surf that afternoon, um, and we were just surfing together. He just caught a wave, so he was about a hundred meters down the beach, and I was sitting there by myself. Um, when all of a sudden I just get hit from my right side, but like it, it's always hard to explain what that force feels like. Um, I always explain it by, you know, it felt like getting hit by a bus. It might feel like a footy tackle or something like that. It's just this enormous force from my right side that throws me off my board. Um, by the time I land in the water and can even look around to see what's going on, I look down there's a shark that's swum around the other side of me and it's biting me on my left leg. And that this is the moment where it, things really slow down, like to the point of, stopping and i think if you talk to a lot of other people that have been in a situation like this there's always that time slowing down sort of factor to it and this is that moment of, of like freezing in the fight flight or freeze um and in that moment being able to take in all these really fine details of what's going on around me um things like the feel of the shark skin as i'm you know trying to push away make the token like try and punch it but it's impossible to punch through water um, the details, like the lack of sound, I suppose, um, which is an interesting thing for me because I, I think about a situation like that and I think, you know, you, you expect some roaring or something like that. You think of a bear attack or something like that, but sharks don't make noise. Um, I couldn't hear my screams for help, which I know were happening then based on other people's recounts, but it was like someone completely turned the sound off. Um, I can even remember the, the look in the shark's eyes, which is not one that had any emotion to it. It was just too black dots that were staring back at me but 
this moment of looking at the shark, you know, face to face as it's, as it's biting my leg. And that for me was the moment where you kind of like zoom out of it and you're looking at the experience and it's almost like it's out of body because you, you can't argue with the shark. You can't tell it to stop. You can't, you can't do anything in this situation. You're just looking at your worst nightmares coming true right in front of you and you're so helpless. But I think that, you mentioned it before, like respect for, for the ocean. And I always have that vivid visual memory in my mind as an addition to the respect that I do have for sharks because having experienced how hard it hit me, how quickly it swam around to the other side and it was biting me. Like I can appreciate how good sharks are at what they do. Like this is a bad way to get that appreciation. I understand that. But I do understand how incredible they are as creatures and and that image for me is something that evokes the the respect in in that regard but at this point i'm i kind of need to do something and and this is where i made the biggest mistake i did that afternoon which a lot of people say isn't a mistake because it's just instinct but i pulled away from the shark um makes total sense like this is the flight part of fight flight or freeze getting activated you need to get out of there um so i pull away from the shark and the thing about pulling away from a shark is when you pull away from it, it doesn't just let go. Um, it holds onto that chunk of leg and, and separates it from, from my body, which in, in that moment, there's no pain and you're just full adrenaline there. And I make a note to myself to not look down. Um, I know what's just happened, but I'm like, don't, we, we don't need to know how bad it is. We just need to focus on escaping. So, I put my head down and I swim as hard as I can, just focusing on trying to get to the sand. And I get in about 20 meters and I have a thought come over me of like, is this shark going to come back a second time? The scariest thought I've had uh, my entire life, uh, especially when I look over my shoulder and actually see it approaching and I'm able to put my hands out with enough time to to try and stop it. Um, I'm right-handed, right hand's got pretty good aim that lands on its nose. Uh, My left hand, not as good aim that, goes in into its uh, mouth which is not where you want it to be and luckily it didn't bite down on my hand but I snag a few teeth on the way past um, and you know quickly pull out lose a bit of skin there but again that's not something I'm really going to worry about here so I'm in this position like holding a shark at arm's length not knowing what to do like this this moment for me is a significant moment because I'm like am I ever going to get away from this thing? Like I already sacrificed part of my leg. I've swum into the beach and, and it's come back again. And I'm kind of there trying to figure out what to do. And I see a wave approaching and I'm like, all right, I think the only thing I can do here is when the wave hits us to try and push a shark to one side. And hopefully the wave's got enough power that it will push me in far enough and hopefully separate me from, from the shark. And the wave hits us, I push it to the left and I'm just doing like front flips underwater. Um, struggling to control my body at that time because I'm starting to get more and more tired. Um, and luckily the wave does have a lot of power in it. By the time I surface, I'm standing up and it's only about waist deep. Uh, and this time when I look up, I see what's the best sight in that moment, which is Joel, my mate that I was surfing with, paddling towards me as fast as, as he could. So he heard my screams for help. And in the time from the initial attack and everything that happened there, he was just straight lining it towards me so by the time i'm there he's able to put me on his board take me to the beach um and you know take me out of that that situation luckily the shark doesn't come back another time i'm feeling safe but here's where the the life saving really starts because i i didn't know how serious things were in the moment like i said i didn't look down but 
you know, you, you know things are pretty bad when by the time you get to the beach, you can't lift your arms up because you're that exhausted. So Joel drags me up the beach and he runs off to get some help. And I'm laying there being like, okay, how bad is this? Still telling myself not to look down because I don't want to go into panic or, or go into shock now. And I have the feeling like, you know, is this what it feels like to die? Because it felt like a, a there's, it's hard to explain why that situation felt so significant, especially not knowing how close I was to death in that moment. I had a lot of pain in my stomach right there and I thought that I'd actually been bitten there. Um, I found out later that was actually my organs starting to shut down because I'd lost so much blood. So not knowing how close I was to death, there was something within me saying like, is this the moment? But as equally as strong as that, that thought of, is this what to feel? Is this what it feels like to die? There was a second thought, which is the fact that it didn't feel right. And I, I don't know why I had the right to think that because like I said, I was incredibly close to death in that moment, but just something didn't feel right about that situation and I think it's a good thing I had that thought because it allowed me to to say okay well if this isn't the moment what do I do all I can do right now is basically just breathe and, and stay present and that's kind of where that was one of the things I think that really helped me on the beach and helped the initial first aid efforts that and obviously a lot of luck um I, I was lucky that Joel was there um Joel's a good friend of mine but he's someone who isn't the most reliable when I call him to go for surf so the fact that he was out there is incredibly lucky the person that he ran off to get help from was his now wife um first time I've ever seen her on the beach watching him surf and she's an intensive care nurse um so she called the ambulances and stuff like that as she's calling the ambulances there's another guy who's walking along the beach his name's John who hears Joel's like shouts for help He's also a nurse who happens to just be taking a rare walk along the beach. So I had the right people around me in, in a time when I needed them the most, obviously, and, and they successfully applied the tourniquets, coordinated the, the rescue effort and, and kept me alive until the paramedics and, and the, the helicopter eventually came and picked me up and, and took me to hospital. But I think uh, there's there's a couple of, like, key things that stick out to me in that time on the beach which is just this when you're in a situation like mine where i'm so helpless like i'm just a passenger there there was a certain comfort that you have in having those people around you whether they're supposed to be there or not you you're kind of laying there just you feel comfortable that they're doing all the right things even though they haven't had to do this before like this is a completely rare and, and novel thing that's happened in front of them and I'm sure they're panicking a lot but for me I just felt safe and I felt secure in, in everything that they were doing and I think that's something that that helped me be able to focus on what I needed to in that moment and makes you understand why you know when when the paramedics eventually get there and everyone's like run, run like run you need to get there he's dying and they're, they're always walking and they're taking their time because if one person's calm it makes everyone seem a lot calmer and, and that has a big influence on the whole situation and, and a lot of times the outcome as well bro what like i'm not the biggest fate guy right like i don't like but what are the chances <laughs> the two people on the beach are probably the two best equipped people to be there you know um yeah just it, that 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 fact like that there's a nurse there who's probably really great with dealing with people that are in you know pain shock fear all these things you got an icu nurse which has probably dealt with you know 
horrific injuries and is just being cut. Like, I just, I'm not a big fake guy, but that just seems meant to be, right? Like, it just, like, I know it's a shitty situation. Like, let's not get bitten by a shark, number one. That's the best best outcome. <laughs> yeah. But as far as, like, getting bit by a shark, that's the thing where you want on the beach, that, right? That's what I say. Like, for the, the way that I view my entire story, right, is that I went from being one of the unluckiest people in the world in that moment to be bitten by a shark, like, statistically, whatever you want to say, like, the most unlucky that I've ever been to having all of those things line up. There's, you know, in 99%, probably more, 99.99% of cases like that story ends in tragedy on the beach that afternoon but for some reason I'm still here today and I think I I, like I talk to people all the time that are like yeah do you believe in fate do you believe in in God religion whatever it is and I, I still don't have any answers to why things worked out the way that they did I think people like to have a reason for it but I think some things are just unexplainable in a way and that's one of the reasons why I do share my story like I say like if it's speaking in front of a group of people, like if I'm, I'm presenting a keynote or if it's doing something like making a, a movie or if it's getting on a podcast, these things aren't really natural to me and my personality. So I reflect on the fact that I was so lucky after being so unlucky and that I do have this story to share. It's it's one of the big reasons that I I am comfortable stepping outside that comfort zone in order to to provide a perspective that a lot of people don't get to hear or don't get to experience. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't be here today. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's a lot of value in identifying something that you wouldn't consider fate or you wouldn't consider, you know, divine intervention, right? But you you highlight that someone might need to just believe in this and it's like all for a reason, right? Like and objectively sit back and go, all right, well now you you know, you've been through this. It's not so much your responsibility, but like you have that sort of that that view of it now, right? Like and you can provide that comfort to other people to go, hey, if if you want to believe that I'm here for a reason and it was all fate. And it makes you feel a little bit better. That's 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 cool too. Like I think, yeah, we uh, we're always looking for a reason, right? We're always looking for an explanation. And it was literally a hungry shark that seen a bit of meat hanging in the water. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that's that's part of the reason why I do share the story as well. Like my my big belief is it's not about what happens to you, but it's about how you respond. Everyone will have their own version of the shark attack. Um, it's not necessarily comparing, you know, if, if someone's shark attack or someone's situation is worse than others, because we all get affected in different ways. What really matters is how you respond to it. But I know it's important to share that part of the story because it's something that for, for the lack of a a better word, it's the hook for, for me to be able to share the things that really matter, which is what happened afterwards, which is the recovery and everything I learned through that. Yeah. So I just, I don't want to get too far away from your story. How did Joel feel after all this? I mean, that's, it's obviously a significant thing for, for him to go through. Um, I, it's funny. I always say like every surfer would love to have the response that Joel had to paddle towards the danger hearing that, you know, one of your best mates is being attacked by a shark. Everyone would love to have that response, but you can't guarantee that's what's going to happen until you you're in that moment. Um, it's, it's such a, a hard thing. And like he, 
I think the fact that he was so close to me before, um, it wasn't just a random person. Like it was very personal for him and he followed and was a big part of my recovery the whole way through. I think for, for Joel being able to know that he's done the right thing on the beach that afternoon because it's led to a positive outcome is something that has helped him a lot. Um, and I mean, as, as you'd probably expect, something like this has definitely brought us closer. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's brought me closer to a lot of people in, in my life in general, but get, being able to go through that with someone that's so close to you, it, it can only, you know, especially with the positive outcome, can only be a positive thing for those two people. Yeah, I wonder, um, do you do you wish you took his wave? <laughs> it's, it's a hard thing. I would much, I, I honestly would rather be in my position as the person who is attacked than someone who's forced to make decisions that could either save or not save someone's life. Um, if I didn't make it on the beach that afternoon, then there was nothing that I could personally do as the person that got attacked, you're just either lucky or unlucky. Um, I would not want to be like comparatively, I would not want to be the person that has to live with that thought of if you've done the right thing or not for the rest of your life. And I mean, again, I, I don't know if, if Joel was the one who was attacked and I was the one that was hundred meters away. I don't know if my response would be to paddle towards him or not. I would love to think that's what I'd do. Um, but you just, you just don't know. So that's, I mean, that is a, a, a tough question. I guess when you start getting into the, the, the what ifs of it all, it's, um, you, you start, you start getting, um, a little bit, it, it's harder to, to visualize. Cause I think, well, I guess you can only really react to what's directly in front of you. So it, it's a, it's probably one of the harder questions that I've been asked, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just I always, always, um, I have this this firm belief that people that go through shit and figure it out generally wouldn't change it, right? Like you know, like it's it's there's 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 power in the pain and in the struggle. Like people and and people just. I, as far as like people I've come across that have had really shitty lives and and really shitty things happen to them, they wouldn't change it. It's it's just something now that they have gone through and dealt with. So yeah, I just uh, I always wonder about like the other person, like because you know, calling a wave or whatever, like is a split second decision. Joel's gone, right? Like he's like, oh, I'll take this one, gone. Never thinking that he's just left you behind. Like, could that have been, yeah, I, I always wonder about how the other person thinks, like, in this situation, like, the guilt. I, I imagine there's a, a, a certain part of guilt in, in Joel's, you know, part of this story where he's like, fuck, I should have, you know, that should have been me. Yeah, I, I hear that all the time because I think it's interesting when when people are, I'm talking to people about the attack and, the people that can either remember where they were or there's the token like, oh, I, I was surfing that afternoon or I was going to surf that afternoon or like one of my other really good friends, Nick, who I surf with pretty much every single day. He, his whole thing for a while was that, yeah, he like it probably should have been him that was surfing with me and who says that it's going to be him or me or, and it's hard, but I think you're right. Like as far as the, the experience itself and, and going through it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it because I think if I didn't, go through that like life is going to have a way of teaching you these lessons and if it wasn't the shark attack it probably would have been something else that had taught me the things that i need to know um 
but that was just one of those moments where it was, I guess it was my turn to learn. Yeah. Yeah, man. What a, what a fucking way to learn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you get in the helicopter, <clears throat> obviously I imagine there's a certain part of, um, like you said, you're comfortable on a beach, but I imagine that's probably about the point that your survival instincts just go, all right, we're like sort of done here. We can shut down. Everyone's going to look after us now. Uh, talk to me about those first days, man, coming back. Uh, you know, obviously they put you in a coma, I assume, to deal with, with everything. How long were you in the coma for? Uh, so I was in the coma for somewhere between 12 and 24 hours. I don't actually have the answer to that. Um, I woke up shortly after and had obviously had no idea what day it was, had no idea where I was, um, had the the tube down my throat trying to call in sick for work. Little did I know that my boss was well aware that I'd been attacked by a shark and couldn't make it. Um, so the, the first couple of days in hospital was uh, there was a lot of unknown and a lot of uncertainty about what, what was going to happen. Um, I my leg was just completely wrapped in bandages. I, I didn't know how bad the damage was at that point. It was just kind of this big dull pain, you know, below my waist there. And I would, you know, it was just kind of a constant stream of doctors, specialists, surgeons, all these people coming in, assessing. I had, had an operation as soon as I got to hospital. Um, this was before I woke up where they just assessed it, cleaned it out, um, took all the sand out of it. And then they were kind of like, okay, what do we do? They had two days to recap on, on what they were going to do. Did another operation where they cleaned more sand out of it and had a, were able to develop a, a bit of a plan moving forward. Um, and then on the 3rd of April, um, which is my birthday, um, they performed an operation which they'd only ever done once before. Um, the function of this operation was purely to save my leg. So... The damage was I'd lost three quarters of my left quad. Um, obviously, that is a significant muscle in the leg that's, you know, it's it's needed for a lot of different uh, motions, a lot of different things, um, something as simple as walking, something as complex as surfing, um, everything in between. So the in talking to the doctors, they they were kind of like, okay, if, if amputation is, you know, an option here, we need to assess it, but... We're going to see if there's anything we can do to work around that. They obviously needed to cover the bone that was exposed in order to keep the leg alive. So there's 15 centimetres of exposed bone. Um, they weren't able to fill the entire gap of three quarters of the left quad, but they, they were kind of just in salvage mode at that stage. So the operation that they did, they took my left lat muscle from my back and transplanted that into my leg. So that was to cover the the bone to keep that alive. Um, they connect a blood supply through that muscle to keep the muscle alive. Um, and they connect a nerve, which they're like, the nerve might grow eventually and the muscle may work, but this is purely to save the leg. Um, that was like an eight hour operation. Um, I woke up after that and had hourly checkups with the doctors where they were seeing if the blood was still flowing through the muscle. And like every time they'd put the ultrasound machine on that to test, it was like terrifying. I was like, okay, if, if I don't hear the the pulse, then, you know, am I going to lose my leg? That sort of uncertainty was really hard. But after, after a little while and, you know, they were, they were pretty confident that the operation was a success. They, they sat me down while well, I was already in a bed. So they, they came down and sat next to me. Yeah. Sat me up, something like that. Um, they, they came in to kind of, 
you know, say the good news is the operation seems to be a success. We're going to monitor it and, and see if anything happens. But um, this is kind of where we're at and this is what you've got to deal with. And they, they kind of gave me a bit of an idea of what to do moving forward. I always say for for amazing, for the amazing work that doctors and surgeons can do in the operating theater, this is not their strong point, which is delivering bad news, right? So, and I, I know why they do it, but they're telling me about what to expect moving forward. And they're like, okay, losing three quarters of your left quad, even though we've been able to replace it with this lat muscle from your back, like it's it's going to make life a, a big challenge. They're like walking for you. The picture of that is going to be you, you'll be in hospital for a while, progress to a wheelchair, you'll be on crutches. They're like best case scenario for you and walking because you need the quad in order to straighten your leg out as you move forward. As they said, you'll have a little device on your knee that helps straighten it out as, as you move forward. Um, and they said, obviously, because of that, you know, living an active lifestyle or doing sports or anything like that, it's going to be a massive mountain to climb. Um, and then here's me laying in hospital bed being like, what about surfing? And they're like, you'll, you'll never surf again. Um, and for me, like, I th- understandably, because we've, we've been through the backstory about where, you know, what surfing meant to me and, and how significant it was in my life, that, that, was, that was kind of the earth-shattering moment for me because I, I didn't know how to picture a life without this thing that made me who I was. And I was in this position where trying to deal with this news was, was really tough. I was lucky to have a lot of support when I was in hospital, but I don't think any level of support can make that news easier to hear. And I say like, I was incredibly, even though I had all the support around me, I was still very alone. Like I was alone in what I was going through. I was the only person that had been attacked by a shark. Um, and for that, I was statistically isolated. One in 3.6 million is the only stat I've been able to find that can explain, you know, what it's like to be bitten by a shark. Um, but the worst thing about hospital, apart from the food and the temperature in there, is it is a lonely, lonely place. Like at night times when all that support goes home, it's just you laying in a bed with your thoughts and there's, you know, three other strangers in the room that you, you're not really talking to because so they've got their own battles and stuff that they're going through. And in those moments and and at night time there for me it was just those thoughts of what the doctors are telling me like playing on repeat and i'm trying to figure out what life is going to be like if i can't surf and really struggling to to picture what it's you know what a picture of that looks like because you know i i hadn't been in a situation like that before i didn't know what the first step forward was going to be like I, i felt so stuck in what i was going through and you know, I always say the that was the moment where my recovery was split into to two different paths. I was going to obviously have to go through a physical recovery, but in order to do that, I was going to have to mentally take control of this situation and, and be comfortable with it and and come to terms with it. It's it's like a grieving process at that stage. You have to you have to acknowledge what's happened and and I needed to do that before I could even get in the gym and start working on on my recovery. So that was a significant moment there is just trying to come to terms with how different life was going to be. Hey guys, I'd just like to take a break here in the middle, ask a favour if I can. If you're enjoying the podcast, we would really love for you to leave us a rating somewhere, be it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere that you get your podcasts. Also, a share, a like, a follow. All these things help grow the podcast audience and the podcast itself. And with that out of the way, Let's get back to it.
Was there a point laying in that bed? I know, I know what it's like to be stuck in hospital. I know that 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 coldness, that loneliness that sort of happens about six o'clock when all the it seems like when all the day staff leave, like it's a whole different environment, right? And um, was there a point laying in that bed? You just sort of went, "Fuck it," like I'm done. Like, was there ever a moment where you? checked out like you were done that's it i'm not going to recover i'm just happy to just be in a wheelchair and fucking that's it i'm good it was it was funny like i I had in a way come to terms with the fact that i was going to be in a wheelchair for a while and that you know i'd I'd kind of resigned to the fact that surfing was just completely off the table but there was almost this conflicting sort of energy around it because although the surgeons and and everyone had told me that you know, this is the reality of dealing with this injury. All the nurses and the people I was seeing day to day kept saying, you're young, you're fit, you're going to have a good chance of recovery. So there was still, there was always that little bit of hope there. Um, And it's hard to grab onto that hope when you're scared of what the end result is going to look like, because there's so much that's unknown. But it wasn't until just before I left hospital that I was able to actually get the perspective that I needed on the recovery to say, to kind of turn that, you know, it's going to be wheelchair for the rest of my life into, into maybe I can have a chance at this. And it was, it was a message I got from uh, a guy that I hadn't met before. He was a physiotherapist who just sent me a, a message when I was in hospital. He was actually friends with Joel in school. Um, he sent me a message just being like, Hey, you don't know me, um, but I've heard of your story. I'm friends with Joel have a physiotherapy clinic in, in Kaima, which is where I live. And he said, when you get out, I'm not sure what your plans are for rehab, but I'd love to help you out. And hearing, just receiving that tangible support, it, it hit differently. Like I was incredibly lucky to have all the messages, all the people visiting, all of that. But there's something different about when you get the tangible, I want to help you take those first steps that just, it, it made me kind of perk up a bit and be like, Hey, this it's, there's something I'm going to be able to do. Like I'm not just laying here in a bed. I'm going to be able to go see someone who can help me. And then I obviously said, yeah, hundred percent. I'm keen for that. (laughs) And his message back was, um, you know, let's, let's do it. Then come see me when you get out of hospital. He said, uh, I'll leave you with a few words of advice. You've obviously got a long and hard road ahead of you. He said, people don't fail from aiming too high and missing. People fail from aiming too low and hitting. Look ahead with determination and set lofty goals. And that was the first moment where I actually looked at the bar that I'd been left with as far as what the doctors had told me but the potential for where things may have been able to go and that was something that that motivated me a lot to say well I am still here I I am going to take the advice that you know the nurses and stuff are telling me I'm young I'm I'm relatively fit and healthy I do have an opportunity to try and recover from this how far that takes me doesn't really matter, but I'm going to, from this point forward and, and from when I can leave hospital every day, do, do something to try and improve my situation. And um, I didn't even have any goals at that point, but I was like, I want to be able to at least, you know, try and prove the doctors wrong in one way or another. <laughs> and that that's kind of what shaped the recovery moving forward. It was just that that absolute spite of the doctors. <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be fine. Like, I don't care what you say. I'm getting back into it. I think it's great that that guy messaged and wasn't a. It wasn't a message saying, "Hey, if you feel up to it, mm. or if you think you want to do it." Like it was like a, yeah, we're here. Let's do it. Let's uh, make it happen. It wasn't like an. You know, not 
not giving you an option, but not giving you that that low point, right? Like not the here's where it could be, here's where you are. Like it's this is where we're gonna get to. Just come see me when you're ready. Yeah. Like, and again, knows Joel from primary school, man. I'm just saying, there's like coincidences through this story that yeah. just uh, just seems so bizarre, so bizarre to me. <laughs> so, uh, what was the total stay in hospital? How long were you there? Five weeks in in total. So I had. <sighs> I had a week in intensive care um, and then a week in like step down intensive care where they were doing all the monitoring. And then I was just on a ward until the last week where I was um, just in like a rehab ward. So that was a really interesting experience the last week because I, that timed in perfectly with when I got that message from Scott, Um, I was doing my rehab with a lot of people who had um, suffered from a stroke. So these are usually more elderly people sort of in their, their 60s and 70s. And there was a stark difference between the ones. There's one guy I knew that I met there who it was his third stroke and his whole thing was I've been through it before. I've been able to learn all these things again. And he's, he had the determination to want to get there. But a lot of the other older people were like, well, I've had a good run. You know, I'm not expected to you know do too much out of this. And I, I saw the difference in attitude and and how that reflected in just the basic rehab that they were doing. And I think that along with obviously Scott's message gave me a lot of perspective that I needed that, you know, by the time I left hospital, I was, I was ready to, to hit the ground or well, shuffling. Yeah. <laughs> wheeling, wheeling, just yeah, wheeling exactly. out of the hospital, ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Five weeks, man. That is, uh, that is huge. Mm. So you get home, what, is, uh, what does recovery start to look like in the early stages, man? So recovery started the day I got back. Um, I went and saw Scott as, as per the promise. Um, and the first thing we did was to set some goals, which makes sense based on his message. Um, we sit down and he's like, okay, we've got to have some things to guide us moving forward. He's like, I'll give you a couple of rec- recommendations. It's like your mum's driving you around everywhere at the moment. We're going to have to you know, regain a bit of independence. Um, you're going to need to be able to drive your car. That's goal number one. Um, and if you can do that, hopefully you'll be able to get back to work. So I was in a straight leg brace at that time. So I needed to be able to bend my knee enough in order to, to get behind the wheel of the car and drive. So that was more just a timing thing. They were going to let me bend my knee more and more as, as time went on. But that was a goal where I was like, okay, cool. I'll be able to see those increases week by week um, to the point where I, where I could drive the car. But then getting back to work meant that I had to be on my feet all day. So whether that be on crutches or unassisted, whatever it is, that was that was another goal. And it's funny because I I had done a lot of thinking up until that point about what I wanted my lofty goal to be. And my goal was that I wanted to like prove the doctors wrong and say I could walk again. And I I heard these two first the first two goals from from Scott which was essentially like drive yourself around and go back to work. And I was like, oh, this is a bit, bit disappointing. And then Scott was like, I got one more for you though. He's like, we're going to get you back surfing again. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's lofty. Like, but it was in that moment that I realized what he meant. Um, I, even just by having the goal of wanting to walk again, that was middle of the road. In order to get back to work, I had to be able to walk. So it's so easy, even if we do have all this motivation to pick a goal that's not as high because we are, as humans, we're afraid of failing. Like I I didn't want to set that because I didn't want to be someone who, 
you know, couldn't do it or couldn't surf the way that I could before because it defines so much of who I was as a person. And I realized the importance of setting those goals like there in that moment of like, if I had set the goal of walking again, yeah, that would have been nice. But what could I have left on the table by, by just saying I want to walk again? Would I have walked again and been like, great, what, what's my life look like now? Or would I eventually maybe rejig those goals to try and surf again? I don't, I don't really know, but the idea of having that goal of surfing meant that my rehab was catered towards this enormous goal. So the ones down here happened really quick. Um, like really, really quick. I was, I was driving myself around, um, within the first month of being out of hospital. Um, I could get back to work and and be on my feet all day after two months. So I was walking after two months, which is incredible, um, based on where I was in hospital. And, and we just slowly worked those goals, um, up until the, the point of hopefully surfing again. And that was, um, you know, that I think when it comes to a recovery, it's, it's interesting how you go through the phases at the start, you you're on turbo, like you learn new things every single day, you improve, you can see the tangible results, but as you get further along, those gains get smaller and smaller and you get to a point where you're not learning as much every single day and you're not feeling that progress. And that's where you start to have the doubts come in of like, am I going to be able to do this? Am I, am, am I going to be able to like surf again? And those, those are the times when, I mentioned those dual recoveries before that when I needed to focus on the mental recovery more and be like, okay, does it matter if I can surf again? Not necessarily. Am I putting everything I can into improving just a little bit every single day? Yeah. Then I am on track. What else can I do to keep me on track? It's, it was other coping strategies. It was using the support that was around me, like these tangible things that like a, a recovery or anything in life, it's not linear. Like you have ups and downs and like that's, a cliche for a reason because it's true and you need things to keep you on track so a big part of my recovery was spent in the gym learning these you know things from basic walking patterns up until like uh, getting more into the gym later on like learning to deadlift and stuff like that um there was the tangible learning there and i was focused on things in the gym but i needed things to keep me on track outside of that so i was happy so i was fulfilled so i could kind of separate myself from what was happening in inside those walls of the gym because at the at the base of it there's a human going through this it's not just the the exoskeleton um, and recovery is hard um, recovery is hard there's there's a lot that goes into mentally getting through each day of, of showing up and knowing that that day isn't going to be the day that gets you to the end goal but it's all part of the the puzzle so recovery for me was all in all a massive learning process, um, learning about the tangible things, but learning about myself. And it was five months before I got back in the water and surfed again, which that seems like a, a very quick recovery. It, to me, it does because I didn't go through it. <laughs> yeah. right? Like I'm thinking, okay, like a month walk, two months you're yeah. back at work, five months you're back surfing. Like everything's all good. Yeah, yeah you know. Like so that that was that was interesting as well because I that was five months to get back in the water and surf again, but that was just a a very basic surf on a longboard, which you know for the surfer beforehand, that's like oh, that's nothing. You're eleven again, right? exactly. Like it's, it's, you're, yeah. you're starting again. Yeah. Um, yep. But for me and how I felt in just being able to get in the water and, and, you know, step, take that first step in the ocean. Like that was a huge step. At that point, I'd learned so much about myself and what I've been through that I, I knew the significance that just getting to that point 
um, had had actually given me and, and what I'd learned. Like I, I look at the photo of my very first surf all the time. I got it tattooed on, on my arm because it's so significant. And the reason I look at it is not so much because it's the best surf I've had because conditions wise, no, it's not the best, it's not the best surfing I've done. But what that actually represents is the difference between the person who was laying in hospital bed, feeling alone, feeling stuck, not knowing how to move forward. And the person standing on the surfboard had all this experience. They had the know-how, they had those tools in order to be able to show resilience, in order to be able to do the recovery. And that's something that is going to stick with me forever. Like the scars, yeah, they're, they're part of it, but you can't use the scars every single day. I can use the things that help me actually recover in any challenge that's in front of me. And I think that's why I look at that photo and it is so significant because it's it's really a metaphor for everything I had learned in those five months. And, and that pushed me further forward as well. Yeah, man, that's, uh, that is unreal. Like I, like I, I, I can see the, I can obviously see, you know, the, the, the micro of it. I can see from back here, like five months, man, you, you, you're the day to day, that macro, man. Like I imagine it's just so like, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine the, the mindset it would take to recover from an injury like that and then get back in the water. Like I know that like there's a lot of stuff I love if I got half killed doing it, like I would probably reconsider it. Right. <laughs> like, um, Tell me about that first that first paddle out again, man. Tell you, I, I imagine you know from from the shark attack where your senses were just gone. It was pure survival. Was this first paddle out the complete opposite? Were you just absorbing everything, sound, smell, feel? Yeah, it's it's funny. the The first surf was, I think, understandably, a lot of people expect there to be some trepidation when it comes to going back in the water, just due to the fact that that's where sharks are, but sharks have always been there for me. Like I, I'd always been comfortable with the risk of going back in the water. Not to say that that, that doesn't change when you've experienced something like that. I, I always say for me, there was so much excitement in being told that I could go back in the water and surf again, that that, w- that was secondary to me at the time. Plus I'd spent a lot of time learning more about sharks and, and understanding them a lot more. And, and that was a big part of my recovery too. But the that first surf it actually it happened so quick like scott told me like yeah you can get in the water and surf again and i called my mate nick and i was like let's go surfing and he was so pumped understandably like he was like let's do it i'll organize a board i'll come pick you up let's go um i didn't have time to really think about yeah and all of a sudden like i'm i'm in the water i'm out there like we're, we're sitting there and there's just a feeling of of being in the ocean again um, that is, there's a reason why, as you described it earlier, all the kids that love being into the surf is because of how amazing it makes you feel. And when you don't get to experience that after it's such a big part of your life, being able to, to, to dive back in there and to, to feel that connection to this thing that is such a big part of your life and, and being able to do it again is it's, it's an experience and a feeling that's really, really hard to describe. And that's why like I, I take away from that surf. It wasn't necessarily about, you know, the surfing that I did or how many waves or anything like that. That for me, the memory is I went down there with Nick. Um, my mum was on the beach watching 
um she was there with my dog one of my friends was i'm taking sure photos. she was freaking out she was right? yeah. like your mum would have just been pure mum mode yeah, like yeah <laughs> she she 100 percent was but for me it was just being able to show those people like i've been through this and look where look where we are like the recovery isn't something that i did by myself like i i went through it every single day but it wasn't possible without everyone that was around me and i think the that first surf and the memories that I have of showing the people on the beach that I've done it, it was almost like saying thanks for being there for me. And that's that's essentially what the recovery became after a while is, is you know, I wanted to do it so people, obviously the person, you know, when someone local gets attacked by a shark and, and everyone knows who it is, there's a lot of attention there and I, I just... I knew everyone was watching the recovery and was interested in what the outcome was going to be. And I thought it was a really good opportunity to show people, you know, just, just what's possible when you have that support and, and when you have these things happen. And and I, I know that has made a difference in, you know, more than one person's life. And I think being able to show it with actions is, is such a powerful thing to be able to do. Yeah, I can imagine uh, everyone that was involved in that, like, you know, family, friends, all that sort of stuff that, like, yeah, I can imagine the 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 pride, right? and and then sort of like I don't want to say the payoff because we we don't support people for the payoff, but fuck yeah, like we you know we helped him get there, right? We were all there, and then finally you just paddled out and got it in, and they would have all just been so happy like that. Yeah, that that I, I don't know if there's a better word than payoff, but definitely that outcome, right? Like they've seen it all happen. Um. That's unreal, man. So seven years ago, you know, just shy of seven years now for this attack. What's um, what does your movement, your life, your you know, what does that look like now? Yeah, it's it's very different. Um, like uh, getting back to that point of surfing, obviously, there's a lot of things that happen after that, and your goals change and and shift. And my goal was to get back to the level of surfing that I wanted to, and to get back competing. And I. I after probably two years, I got back to that point and actually had to sit back and ask myself, like, did I go through this whole thing just to become the person I was before? And the answer was no. Like, I, I wanted to learn and I wanted to be different because of it. So I ended up putting competitive surfing behind me at that point and wanted to focus on what I could do differently in, in my life with this new thing that I'd been given, which is this story. And um, and all these things that I'd learned and, and that's where I kind of developed the mission that I wanted to use my story to help others. And that's pushed me to do things like podcasts. Um, I do speaking in front of crowds now, which is bizarre for someone. Um, you know, I think if you had told Brett before the attack that that's what he'd do for a living now, he, he would not like that one bit. Um, and that's culminated in in making a film about my experience which is something that i'm i'm really really proud of so my life now it is dedicated around you know giving back and and helping people because i i truly believe that we, we will all have our own version of of a shark attack um i'm lucky that a shark attack is engaging and interesting that people want to listen to it uh, but we'll all have our our own version of that and if if i can show to people that you know, the, these experiences, they are there for us to, to learn and to grow. Um, you know, we, we can actually look at our own experiences as inspiration rather than, I think a lot of people, the idea of an inspiring character is funny because, you know, we look at these people that are around us and there's an, a huge number of inspirational people you can look to, but 
unfortunately, those people aren't necessarily going to be there when you're going through your struggle, but you are, and you've been through some some tough things in your life, and and you've gotten through them, and you, you know, I know everyone's resilient because you've all been through stuff, and you, you're here today. And if we can look at our own story and our own experiences as that inspiration and that driving force to move forwards, then that's kind of what I hope to provide people through sharing what I've been through. Yeah, man, it's it's so important. One to, like you said, identify that everyone has been through something and 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 trying to identify one what your shark is, right? Like it, and sharks are different to everyone. Um I think it I think it's also a testament like um in that like the community, right, that that rallied around you, that that support network, like how important that is to be as well. Like not everyone at every point is going to be the shark attack victim, right? Like there's going to be people in your life sometimes that just need a beer and they just want to have a chat or they just want to, whatever it is, right? Like I think it's so important to identify that sometimes we just have to be the support network as well. Um, yeah, man, like honestly, like I, I'm, I'm, I, 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 wouldn't wish being bitten by a shark on anyone. Like I don't, like I, I can't imagine the, I can't imagine it. Like it's just so far out of the realm for me. I um, I, I just think it's so phenomenal that, you know, you got bit by a shark and then, you know, five months later you're back in the water, which is like one, like for the physical, you know, the physical statement that that makes but the mental state like i just i cannot like i just can't can't picture ever being like eh, i'm gonna get jump back in the water like maybe like knee deep like stand on the beach but that's about it for me um i couldn't i couldn't do it so congratulations man on finding that 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 strength and that you know that determination to get back in like i said i i, I don't i don't think i love anything that much that I would do it like yeah just uh, yeah yeah that's that's all you man that's uh that is unreal so we have you've got the the movie coming out on stand right the documentary coming out on stand early march um what was the process like for that reliving like obviously you relive the story every time you tell it you are uh, you know you 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 live in this recovery daily um how was it to revisit the whole thing in in great detail it was a really I, I love the experience of making it um i suppose a bit of background on it we started making it three years ago um and i originally wanted to do like a five minute intro video to my my talks as like a bit of context and uh, myself and good friend sam tolhurst who i've done the film with we put it together we showed the five minutes to a few people and they're like you can't leave this at five minutes you got to give it more um and five minutes grew to 20 minutes and eventually a, a feature film but the idea and the motivation for it was like I, i've been asked for for my story you know a number of times now and i i love telling it i, I love being able to to provide a perspective but something that i've always thought that it lacks is the perspective of the other people that made it happen um people like joel people like my parents my physio my surgeon so we really wanted to do something that was really representation of of everyone's experience in this and and what it's been like for for the collective as a whole because it's funny i it's not like i couldn't have done this earlier like it is probably a bit strange for people to think that you know i've I waited so long before i actually put this out there but i always felt like i 
I didn't want to release it too soon because I didn't feel like it was it was at a point where it had maximum value or I'd learned all I need to learn that I wanted to share. And I think a big part of that was trying to understand the story that I wanted to tell and the lessons that I wanted to leave people. And that's not just in, you know, overcoming adversity and stuff like that, but it's it's in how I wanted to frame other people's experiences and even frame sharks. So I like I mentioned, I had opportunities to sell my story early on and I know that would have resulted in a very shark based narrative which is you know very fear driven and things like that and that, that's not yeah. that's not how i see sharks so like i wanted to get a marine biologist on to talk about shark behavior and shark interaction interactions with humans in a, in a real way where we take the fear out of it and we can actually look at it objectively and i think being able to have that control over the narrative is something that meant a lot when it came to doing it and having control over the narrative doesn't necessarily mean that you know i'm i'm hamming things up or, or doing things it just means that it's really a representation of my experience like in a really unorthodox way of producing a film i was directing it so meaning when we were interviewing people like interviewing my parents i was the one that was in the chair asking the questions so it really is an exploration of my story from other people's point of view but it's almost like a, a as a curiosity from myself so the whole film, I think, is a really good representation of, of what I want to leave behind when it comes to to my story, and I suppose the, the reason for why I've I've done it as well. And it, it runs in tandem with um, I've always found myself doing physical challenges afterwards because I've wanted to apply the things that I've learned through the attack and the recovery to other situations. And for some reason, physical challenges tend to be a good one. Um, I've walked 100 k, I've done a marathon, those sorts of things, but. Uh, in the film, the storyline that runs parallel to the recovery is uh, the paddling event that I did last year, which is the Molokai to Oahu, which is a 54-kilometre open ocean paddle between two islands in Hawaii. So um, being able to view the attack and the recovery and see how those things are paying off in a challenge that's in front of me now and today, I think is a really valuable way of looking at this experience and, and how it has impacted me and, and how it can have, um, it can have learnings for anyone, no matter what your situation is and, and no matter where you are in, in your own life or, or what your challenges are. If it is, you know, like I said, if it is a shark attack, hopefully not, or if it's, or if it's anything else, the, it's all relevant because struggle is something that we all experience. Yeah, I think it's. I think honestly, it's um, something in life that has become easier and easier to avoid. We are such like, like you said, we're so adverse to failure, and we have so many opportunities now to avoid everything. Right? Like, if you, it's not like, like when I grew up, like I'm, you know, only in my mid thirties. But you always had to do so. You're always doing something. Today, these days, it seems that there's a lot more opportunity to avoid stuff, right? Like it just, you know, you, you can order food to your house. You don't like you don't even have to have the struggle of getting in the car to go buy food that someone else has cooked, right? Like it's it's unreal, like to the littlest points of stuff like that. So I think um, I think that there is there's obviously a lot of growth comes from from struggle right because like, the only place we grow up is 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 in those those moments where you know the chips are down and you've got a decision to make right like you either paddle to the beach or you or you don't it's um yeah i 
I, I really worry that we have given ourselves so many opportunities to avoid struggle these days. It, um, yeah, it really blows my mind how easy we've made it. Um, yeah, man. I, look, I just I want to I want to thank you for your time. Like, I think um, I, I know you know. I said I said I I wouldn't take too much more than an hour, and we've just hit that. So I um, I'm very aware of uh, of the time, man. I, I, yeah, I want to I want to thank you obviously for. Uh, for, for taking the time to tell your story, which I know you're more than comfortable doing. You, you know, you got a fantastic, uh, fantastic delivery of the story as well. I mean, it certainly made my job easy. <laughs> um, so the documentary comes out on Stan on the 9th of March. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what's it called? It's called Attacking Life. Um, so obviously like, a, I mean, it makes sense to me. It, it was, it was named something else earlier on in the project. Um, it was called Pyrophytic, which um, a pyrophytic species of plant, and this is why we had to change it because I have to explain it every time that we had it. Pyrophytic species of plant is one that requires fire in order to germinate and regrow. So very metaphorical, but um, yeah, the the best title isn't the one that you have to explain. I feel like Attacking Life explains things pretty easily, um, and yeah, it's a, it's available on stand from from the ninth of March. Really excited for it to finally be out there after all this time. Um, does it feel like um? Does it feel like a bit of closure? I think in a way um, it it does feel like closure, but I think in the same way, I think it'll open up a lot of other avenues where I can continue sharing my story and, um, and doing what I want to do with it. And beyond that, like being able to produce a film has been a really cool experience. I've always been interested in, in doing that. And I suppose there's, there's no better way to do it than, you know, on, on your own story as far as. Yeah, just get bitten by a shark yeah. and then make your own movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that's something that I, I'd love to do more in the future. So I, I guess having the skills and the experience to do it for this is, is something that I'm, I'm really proud to have done it. Like we, we have done it all from start to finish. I can't tell you how many times we've got to a point where it felt like we were like, okay, we're on track. And then it's like, tear it down, start again. And, and here we are three years later with um, with 90 minutes of, of story ready to go. So it's it's an incredible feeling, um, you know, being able to get to that so-called end point, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, honestly, I can't wait to watch it. I, um, like obviously I've seen snippets of you, you talking about your story before I reached out. And, you know, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see the project, man. I, uh, I'm really excited, like I said, to see the the other people like i obviously like all the work for you was done for you um but yeah i just yeah i'm interested to see like like i, I definitely like as a parent like I, I wonder how like your your parents went through this like i imagine it was horrific for them like yeah. so yeah I'm, I'm excited to see those other other sides of the coin man um where can people find you, man? Socials? Socials. Um, yeah, my – where am I active most? Probably Instagram, um, just at Brett Canellan. Um, other than that, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn these days. That's pretty much it. I don't do anything on Facebook. I don't do TikTok or anything like that. Um, try and keep it simple. Try and – as much as I know the importance of social media for getting a message out there, I try and try and limit it as much as possible. But um, – yeah, if, if anyone has any questions or anyone, you know, is, is curious about anything, I'm always always happy to engage. And I think a good way of doing that is by not looking at six different apps at the same time. 
Yeah, no, I fully agree with that, man. That's uh, that's great. I'll chuck all your uh, links down in the show notes, man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much for your time, man. It's been uh, it's been fantastic. No worries. Thanks for having me, and um, I think it's it's great what you're doing with, with the podcast, and hopefully you can have plenty more great conversations. I think you're a, yeah, man. A, it's it's um, I think it's I think it's so important that we break this surface level discussion, especially as men, right? Like mm-hmm. um. We've been taught certainly to be a certain way. Um, And I think like hearing, like everyone can look at, like I said, like that surface look at your life, right? And five months and you've crushed all these goals, but no one knows the the mental anguish that it would have taken to get there, right? Like and we can pretend that there was none. You can be like, oh, I was sick, man. I just got out, wheeled out there, straight to the physio, driving next, you know, like... We can we can keep it surface level, but I think it's really really important that we we identify that and not everything's easy and it's okay for it to not be okay. So yeah. that's the uh, that's the goal, man. That's definitely the goal with the podcast. That's, um, that's awesome. I think it's it's great that you had that perspective on it, and I know a lot of people will benefit from it too. Yeah, that's that's the goal, man. So yeah, thank you very much for your time, sir. Thank you. That was sick, man. Hey guys, before you take off, I just want to say thanks again for following along with today's episode. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, If you have any ideas of guests or just want to reach out, please head to humanslikeus.com. There is a guest application form. Uh, Also, there's just a contact form if you want to maybe reach out, have a chat in a more formal version than a DM. I'm always down for that. Uh, Again, please, if you found any value in this today... Enjoy, enjoyed the story. Uh, share it. Tell your mum about it. Tell everyone you can. It'll help the podcast grow and then we can uh, do this more and more. Again, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Bye.